Hey, you ever listen to stock radio? Ever listen to stock radio on Weed? Tonight, we've got some usual suspects in KD and Nick, but also welcoming Andrew to the show tonight. What's going on today, Andrew? Not much, Eric. Thanks for having me, man. I appreciate having you. So, Nick, KD, what's going on, guys? Not much, man. Hanging in there. Keeping on, keeping Yeah, you are, dude. Give me some good information already, KD, about Cannabis Cup. Holy shit. I don't know about Cannabis Cup, more like the Dry Cup. Dry Cannabis Cup in Vegas. Seated Paraphernalia Conference. Who (laughs) could have been more upset? Because this was like finally the city of sin. It's always been just sex and rock and roll, and now it's finally drugs. You know, High Times, they did a live video, and they had all this cannabis and dab and rigs, and they were Mm. like, oh, come to the cup. It's going to be lit, you know, and then... You buy a $400 ticket, get there, and there's no cannabis. Yeah, and it's hard. It's not like an overnight thing, I don't believe, to get a medical card in Vegas. No. So people who went there, it's not like California where you can just make a doctor's appointment and get one, I think, that day. I believe there's yeah, a waiting period. Yeah, you can get a card easy. You can in, in Vegas, too? I believe it's recreational, too, but... I believe you know, it is, too, but... I don't I, know, but they were on an Indian reservation, so I don't know if that could have been some with them. I them. don't know if people who went to Cannabis Cup had access cannabis, which is yeah. crazy. Yeah, best. you couldn't bring it. You couldn't bring it or smoke it on the site. This is why we need KD. So mm-hmm. good information. So back to Andrew. So Andrew is a new part of Potstock Radio and another guy who's just got a unique employment position that gives him insight to the cannabis industry. You know, and these guys, we can't really say too much about what they do and where they work, but they're all guys who have inside knowledge of the industry we all love to be a part of. So, Andrew, welcome to the show, dude. Glad to have you. Absolutely, man. Happy to be here. Sweet. So, tonight's show, we've got two awesome guests. We're starting out in about 10, 15 minutes with Jeff Friedland of OWC Pharma, OCW Pharma. And uh, Jeff's a new part of the company recently, and just a guy who's got a very unique look at the industry in general, because he's huge on the politics behind cannabis. So, a lot of the questions I have for Jeff, who, by the way, openly doesn't want to talk too much about the stock, he told me, which is a little bit difficult, but I understand that's not really what he does, so uh, hopefully we can have someone from the company back a little bit later on down the road to get a little more into the technical analysis of the stock, because Jeff is more a broad brush painter than an individual detail giver, it sounded like. But we're going to have him on first, and then one of my favorite guests, a guy who I really just enjoy following and, and would like to be a part of anything he does. His name's Tom Quigley. And Tom runs an organization called Glue down in Florida and also runs the Florida uh, Cannabis Coalition. He's just so entrenched in not only the industry, but helping startups in the industry. And I always love the people who want to give the entrepreneurs away. So, Tom, 
Yeah, and I also love people like that because the more you can help someone like an entrepreneur, the more resourceful you are. You know, that means you made it as an entrepreneur. Now you have to teach entrepreneurs. You're not always going to have all the money, so here's how you make it look like you do. Here's how you fake it until you make it. And I don't want to say Tom teaches people to fake it, but he teaches people how to act as if they are in business to help them get funding and help them get further in, in, in cannabis. So. How to finesse yourself into the business. Right? Yeah, exactly. Like it's, it's not the person with the best product who wins. It's the person with the most heart and willing to follow your dream no matter what. And Tom just helps point you in the right direction so you're not a guy with all the, the um, drive in the world. But if you're constantly running east looking for a sunset, you're not going to ever see one. So you need someone like Tom right. going, yo, dude. You're running east. The sunset, it happens west. And realistically, if you have the best product, it really doesn't matter because if you don't have the right people pushing your product... Nobody knows you have the right product. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, marketing sometimes is the difference between who makes it and who doesn't. And I think in this industry, too, especially, it's so important for everybody to have each other's back because it's a common goal. Yes. And there's so much inertia working against the industry right now. Yes. I mean... Th- Considerably, you know, when you look at the big picture, the history, the federal government, everything like that. But when you look at the momentum that is present right now, it's like, come on, everybody just got to pull for everybody. No one wants to work against anybody here. The more one person is successful and encourages others to be man, it just snowballs. And you know what, Andrew? That's what I love about this industry more than anything is that so many industries, it's more competitive than cannabis. It's a dog world and everywhere else. It is, and it is in cannabis too. Don't get me wrong. There's some stuff that happens in this industry that is seedy and shady. But overall, when you meet other like-minded individuals who all want to see the progress of cannabis – same common goal. Yeah, it's cool to work in a group of people who all have the same friend named Pot that we're trying to get the good word out about. So, Equalizer. Right, so to see a guy like Tom who's trying to help people who quit their job and in insurance to make a life in cannabis, and he's helping those people fuel their dreams, and that's interesting. So we're going to have Jeff call in a little bit, and then, and then Tom Quigley later on in the show, a little bit after the 9 o'clock uh, start of the nine o'clock hour. So before we do that, though, I want to take a little bit of time just to help you guys out. Cause I was thinking about it over the weekend and I'm like, these guys are doing pot stock radio with me, but I never really gave them a rundown of what you need to think about when you're becoming a new stock investor who might invest in cannabis. So I figured I'm going to take a little bit of time just to go over some stuff with you because have you guys thought individual or tell me, have any of you guys thought about actually investing in pot stocks? If I had the lottery, you already know I'm going right to you. No, because if you tell me you're going to invest in pop stocks when you hit the lottery, I'm going to go, dude, you already hit the lottery. Just go put your money in an annuity. Get your monthly check, Kenny, so you can just keep making music for people. You don't need to invest in pop stocks. But here's what I want to explain to people. So, and the reason that this show exists, as I was thinking about it over the weekend, is because I started investing in pop stocks because I found out that they were there. So I thought, wow, you can invest in pot. So I'm just going to start doing this because even if I invest in 10 of these companies, one of them is going to become the Budweiser of pot, and I'm going to retire and be rich. But what people don't realize when they're new to this and they just realize you can invest in pot and they think they're going to ride the green rush to retirement, they don't realize they're usually investing in something called penny stocks. 
And a lot of these companies that don't have to report the same way that companies on the NASDAQ do don't give you the same clarity as companies like Apple do. So you really have to be careful because penny stocks don't operate the way typical stocks do. It's mostly based on emotion that determines whether stocks are going up and down and then also the volume in the stock. But when you're buying a stock like Apple, a group of 20 dudes, how much could they actually do to affect the price of Apple? Nothing. But when you're buying a stock that's worth a penny and a half, 20 dudes with a couple of thousand dollars a piece can actually manipulate a stock to make it move. And unless you know what's happening to create that movement, you don't know whether you're in an investment that things are going up because revenues are coming in or whether you're just in the middle of a little uptrend because of a news cycle. And you know, if you invest in stocks, you really can find something like Under Armour before it becomes Under Armour and just go, I'm going long on this. I found Under, Under Armour. They're going to take over the athletic wear industry, and they're a good company. They've got revenue. They've already uh, proven that they can make it in the clothing industry. I'm putting my money on them, and that's a somewhat safe bet. Or if you try and go long on some of these companies in pot stocks that are penny stocks, you're going to find yourself chasing your tail, and you're going to end up getting very emotional with your money because it's hard to tell what's going to happen, and you're riding a roller coaster ride. So what I'm going to tell you is the same thing I'm going to tell people, except I'm going to help you guys do it. You guys need to learn to read charts and draw trend lines so that you can see what a stock has done and the likelihood of it making moves. And the better you can get at looking at the technical analysis of a penny stock, A, the better you can determine whether or not it's something you should possibly invest in. And B, when you learn how to read charts on penny stocks, it does make looking at charts on a company like Apple make more sense because that one actually moves on uh, financial data more than just moving on emotion. But that's the biggest thing I want people to understand. Until you learn how to really read charts and draw lines, if you're investing in pot, don't do it in these smaller pot stocks. Do it in the ones that are higher and already you know, up in the, the higher dollar amounts just because you don't have to look at them every day like penny stocks. I no longer will buy a penny stock. You ready? Here's how drastic it is for me. I won't buy a penny stock unless I am getting out of it that day. I never plan on buying something in the penny world that I am going to keep overnight because too much stuff happens overnight. If you can't learn to read charts to determine what you think a stock is going to do today and then learn to put in stops so if you're wrong, you lose 20 bucks, and you can lose 20 bucks 60% of the time. And then when you're right, you hit it, and you get out at the right time, and you let everyone else stay in long and determine what's going to happen with the company. So you know, that, that's a really important thing that I don't think most people understand. I think most people come to this world like I did and go, wow, you can invest in pot. But here, here's something most – I bet you guys don't know. Most of the companies that are on the OTC that you can trade in the United States that are U.S. companies, they don't even touch the plant. So everybody thinks they're investing in pot 
when most of the times they're investing in a company that helps people get their license or sells vaporizers or uh, does CBD products. Very few people, very few stocks in this sector actually touch the plant. Now, when you go to Canada, it's a little bit different. Then there are companies that are growing, but a lot of people invest in U.S. pot stocks because they think they're investing in pot, and really they're not investing in pot. And a lot of times what they think of as a stock just isn't the stocks they were used to investing in. So I think, yeah, go ahead. My question with that is, and I don't understand the market. I've never invested before. Uh, my knowledge of Wall Street, it pretty much stopped like Wolf of Wall Street right there. Okay. You know? So just to give you an image. Um, however, you know, knowledge of cannabis obviously extends beyond that. Yes. So my question is, having seen personally what that rec and medical market looks like in a place like Denver, yeah, um, you know, I think it does get kind of like better once you work out towards high country, and I'm sure it's similar in like California type areas too. But it's so saturated. Where is the longevity, especially in products like vape pens, especially in even growing methods that are like trending and then before you know it are gone in a year from now. Where is the longevity industry within the industry that we can look to? So longevity in the industry may come as the federal uh, law changes, and it's not a Schedule One drug. Mm-hmm. But when it is, it's very hard to see the longevity in pot stocks. I mean there right. are companies like GW Pharma. They're doing great things on the medical side, and they're doing things all over the world. They're legit. They're there already. I would be shocked if – not to say their stock won't go up and down because they are more volatile than your average stock that's up in the over $100 range. But they're a company that I think is going to be there. There's longevity there. Uh, INSY, another company that's going to be there for a while and really does produce a good drug. So right now, the only people that I can see with longevity are the companies that have uh, patents on the medical side. Right. That's why I'm interested in hearing from Jeff because I was listening to a few interviews by him, and he was talking about how the majority of the future of this industry is going to be with the medical side. Uh, that's the only thing that right yeah. now you can really rely on. Right. So, and that's another reason why I like that Jeff's going to be on because I did the same thing as you did, Andrew. I did some research, and I was like, wow, this guy you know, he, – he's with this company now, but he's a guy who is entrenched in this industry and knows things about how he at least believes the, the – inside workings of cannabis happens, I think it's a good guy to pick his brain. So, so you know, all I really was trying to do for not only you guys, but listeners who come to us as new listeners who just are finding out that pot stocks exist, I'm just going, look, guys, paper trade. Paper trade means fake buy stocks. Find an account where you can get a fake $10,000 and use that $10,000 when you have no emotion involved and then learn how to read stocks and learn how to read charts and learn how to draw trend lines and learn what indicators are important to focus on. And then chart your, you know, check yourself and track yourself and make sure you're making the right decisions most of the time. Then learn about stops so you can protect yourself and protect your profits. You should do all of that stuff. Before you invest in any penny stock, because it's so even if you even if you told me, Andrew, look, I've been investing in stocks since I was a kid, I would go me too, man. I invested in stocks since I was 18 years old. And then I found the penny market and realized it was a totally different animal. What I knew about the regular stock market almost hurt me in penny stocks because it was so different. 
So, and I'm going to continue to do that. I want people to know I'm here to help them just not make some of the mistakes that I made before I turned a lot of money into pennies with penny stocks. You know, people think they're called penny stocks because you can buy them for a penny. I believe they're called penny stocks because as much money as you put into them, you can end up with pennies. And that's not usually the case when you're buying stocks on the NASDAQ and stuff like that. So I am going to help you guys become avid pot stock investors, or at least enthusiasts, enough to where you felt like, you know what? If I wanted to jump in, if I had a little extra money, never your 401k in penny stocks, always put some safe investments in place first and then go, hey, I just have this extra 500 bucks. I'm going to mess with this. And then as you make some money in your penny stocks, you'll transfer that money over and put it into long-term stocks and use this more as a cash register than a long-term investment. Right? That's the, that's the mindset you have to have. While actively contributing to the industry, too. While actively, yeah, yeah. actively contributing to the industry is the fun part. Yeah. <laughs> the most important part to understand is that everything really happens on emotion. So you have to get really good at gauging how much talk there is, how much chatter there is about the stock that you're interested in, but then never getting tied up in that emotion, never getting tied up in the feeling of like missing out, like, oh my God, I'm reading all these chats, and I better buy to the moon, they're saying. I better cash in my 401k and buy it all now. That's always a pumper that's trying to get you to buy shares so it pushes the stock up so he can sell it. Same thing, someone saying, this is a POS. Sell this one. Usually that's someone who's just trying to get you to sell, their, sell your shares to help his position. So you've got to get good at gauging the chatter and the Kool-Aid, we call it, but never drink it because it's always poison. All right, so a little break from pot stock talk, and we are going to go to our guest tonight, Jeff Friedland with OWC Pharma. Welcome to Pot Stock Radio. Jeff, how are you tonight? Great, great. It's good great. to be here and good to be with you. Good to have you here, man. Yeah, thanks for coming on, Jeff. Great. So, Jeff, you know, we are going to talk a little bit about your company. And when I say your company, the company you're affiliated with, OWC Pharma. But before we do that, give us a little bit of a background on Jeff Friedland. Because as I do research on you, I find a lot more of what you do in the cannabis industry than I do related to the company that we're talking about tonight. So start there. Right. Let me uh, let me just comment on uh, first of all. I think um, just what my relationship is with OWC Pharmaceutical Research, which I think we can come back to in a few minutes, just so that you know that it's clear. Um, I like clarity. And you know, and that way, because we're going to obviously talk about OWC Pharmaceutical Research tonight. The sure. how I got involved with uh, OWC Pharmaceutical Research goes back to 2014. We'll talk in a few minutes. I'm not an officer. I'm not a director of the company. Uh, I'm not doing an investor relations for the company. Um, I was asked to join their advisory board last February because the company that I'm CEO of, a private company in the United States called Intiva Inc., Canada and the United States, we invested in OWC Pharmaceutical Research during the early summer of 2014, almost three years ago. Um, so we believed in it then, we believe in it now, and the bottom line of it was that since I was based in the U.S., and I was, as you pointed out, involved in a lot of aspects of the cannabis industry, they said, hey, you're a native English speaker, you're based in the U.S., would you join our advisory board? And I agreed to that about last February, 
because we had an investment in the company, and I was incredibly impressed with uh, the management team who I met in Israel. Okay. So that's that's sort of bringing it full circle to why I'm on tonight rather than an officer or director of OWC Pharmaceutical Research. Uh, we wrote a check. We made an investment in this company through Antiva in the early summer of 14. So um, not to be off subject a little bit, but I think that'll help. No, listen, um, sounds like language barrier was a part of it, too. It sounds like I would be communicating. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. Uh, well, language barrier to some extent plus time zones. You know, it's uh, um, I've been in the United States on U.S. time zones. That's a big deal. So anyway, back to your question, um, how I got involved listen, in the cannabis industry, I guess, was the question, correct? Something? Yeah, but sure I remember show. you said that. Yeah, I appreciate that, Jeff. So now that you said that, I want to ask, so what? what is it, starting here, what is it about Jeff Friedland that made you the person that they wanted to make the, the voice of the company in the United States? Well, I don't know that I'm the voice of the company in the U.S. I'm, again, a member of their advisory board. I think there were two things. I with some of the people involved in OWC, I go back more than 15 years. Um, I have a Wall Street background, um, and I think the most significant thing for the officers and directors of OWC when they asked me to join the advisory board is that the company that I'm CEO of, Antiva, wrote a check, an early stage, when this was an early stage company, back in almost three years ago in the summer of 14. Um, we invested in a private placement round. And so we had shown our commitment. Um, we were pleased with the direction the company was going then, and I think that's why they asked me. So I'm not a spokesperson for this company. Um, I'm on their advisory board, and I've, as part of that, I've agreed people want to talk to me. My phone number's on the Internet. My email's on the Internet. They can call me, and I'm delighted to speak with them. All right, then I'll say it this way. What does Jeff Friedland bring to their advisory board? Well, I think um, I have a, a Wall Street background going back to 1979. That's a long time. Um, I've been the CEO of a NASDAQ company uh, back in 1979 that was in financial services, equipment leasing. Um, I've been the chairman of a, a full European Union regulated company on the Frankfurt Stock Exchange. I've been the chairman of an uh, the audit committee of a New York stock exchange company, so I have you know I have a pretty good background. I worked in emerging markets, and I think what really made a bit of the difference was um, during the summer of 2015, act, after Intiva had already made their investment in um, uh, OWC Pharmaceutical Research, um, I had done so many meetings regarding the cannabis space, where people didn't understand the terminology, the wording, because this plant had been illegal essentially in the United States since 1937. Um, mm -hmm. I wrote a book called Marijuana, the World's Most Misunderstood Plant. That was during the summer of 2015. My book launch was right after Thanksgiving in New York City um, in 2015. And that you know, book, which is available on print and Kindle, uh, at Amazon and elsewhere, has sort of become my business card. Um, I think uh, it sells every day on Amazon, but I think I end up 
um, you know, giving away more copies uh, than I sell. Um, so, totally and as a result of my book, um, the interesting thing is sort of jumping around time-wise, um, my background was in emerging markets, part of my Wall Street background, which I was early on the China scene. That ended in 2007. And um, I had worked in, like, Sri Lanka, China, Indonesia, Brazil. And to me, I, I live in Denver. I grew up in Denver, Colorado. And, you know, to me, what I saw about the cannabis industry was very similar to what I saw in these other emerging market countries. And the fact that yeah. there was no regulations or the regulations were being written. And back when I got involved in this industry for the first time in 2013, um, nobody had a track record. Uh, regulations, as I said, were being written or changed. It was still illegal at the federal level, which it still is today. It was questionable then where the real money was to be made. And so I, as a result of the book being out, as a result of my Wall Street background, I've done a lot of speaking and a lot of writing on this industry. Um, I'm going to be speaking on the 20th and 21st. Uh, on a panel in Tel Aviv put on by Canatech. I spoke at their event last year. Um, on the 28th and 29th of this month, uh, I'm speaking in San Jose, California. Um, last week I spoke at a Wall Street conference that I'm sure many of your um, you know, listeners are, were aware of in Boca Raton, Florida, uh, Wall Street conference there that was not just a cannabis conference but a, uh, a micro-cap conference. So I'm out there a lot in this space. I have a lot of contacts, and uh, um, I've found it a bit of a challenge to try to figure out where the real money is going to be made in this industry. Um, One of the is, questions I was going to ask a former Wall Street guy is like, where do you see the future? I mean, besides, of course, the, the company that you're a part of their advisory board, but I'm just saying when you scan the industry as a whole, where do you see the most potential and opportunity? That's a, that's a, that's a, probably the best question you're going to ask me during this, uh, um, you know, interview session. Yeah. Quite honestly, and it's a very simple one. thing. In 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 um, my a colleague of mine, Richard Greenberg, who's also involved in Antiva, he and I, when we saw that recreational marijuana was going to be allowed in Colorado in January one of fourteen, we decided the summer before that, the summer of thirteen that, hey, we're in Colorado. I had closed my office in Beijing. Richard was um, a retired government lawyer and also had worked for Pricewaterhouse. Um, we decided that we would investigate this industry. This is going to be a new recreational industry in Colorado. And uh, you'll see how this fits together in a second. And we started doing Starbucks interviews. And we met with a lot of people in Colorado who were on the, had medical dispensaries or grow facilities that wanted to be on the recreational side. We met with a lot of uh, pot entrepreneurs who wanted to enter the space. And quite honestly, we met with a lot of semi-functional human beings. And Richard and I in, ended up in late 2013 investing in um, one retail store in Breckenridge, Colorado, which is a, a mountain resort ski town which had an option on another one in Crested Butte, Colorado, and had a grow facility south of Steamboat Springs, which is another ski town. And we did that. We thought that the recreational, that was it. We got in that. Uh, we had to go through all the 
background checks. We got approved as owners by the state of Colorado Medical Enforcement Division. And that's how my sort of uh, involvement in this industry started, because then in the first quarter of 2014, a lot of people came up to me and said, hey, this is cool. You're in the marijuana business. How do we invest? And we went through, you know, you've got a, a multiple fingerprinting, background checks, tax returns for 10 years. They said, thanks, no thanks. So we formed this company that is in Tiva. And that's the company, four months later, that we went to Israel and invested in OWC Pharmaceutical Research. Now, as it relates to these two retail stores in Crested Butte and um, in Breckenridge with the Grove facility south of Steamboat Springs, that was not part of Antiva. Richard and I sold out of that a year ago, in January, actually 14 months ago. We were delighted to get out of that part of the business. Um, you know, we were there, we did it. Ours was the store in Breckenridge was, um, that operation was the subject of an eight part reality series on CNN that aired in 2015 called high profits. We weren't in that show, but we, we were the ones that put up the money for that. And, you know, we, we exited that business a year ago. And after seeing the day to day issues, the problems of supply, demand and pricing, the IRS issues, the banking issues, you know, we concluded that being on the recreational side of this industry, that recreation would be a huge industry in the United States, but it was questionable when and who could ever make any money. And, yeah. you know, when people say to me, I have, I have some friends that own 16 retail stores in Denver, in Colorado, plus a growth facility, they did $60 million in revenue last year. They lost $10 million. I said to them, you know, um, what's your exit strategy? He said, well, we want to sell out to Big Pharma. And I said, well, you know, <laughs> Big Pharma is not going to come in until it's legally federally. That could be this year. It could be two years from now, five years from now, ten years from now, or never. And so and, and I by the truly way, f- yeah. Their exit plan became everybody else's exit plan. You do not want to have the same exit plan as everybody else, or you're running towards the exit while you're getting trampled. <laughs> so right, silly. Right, right. So you know, um, through Intiva, uh, we invested in a couple um, Canadian companies that became licensed producers under Health Canada, and then mm-hmm. Richard Greenberg, who's my colleague and friend in. And Tiva, he said uh, about the second quarter of 14, he said, you know, Israel is the center of all pharmaceutical research or essentially all in the world. We need to get involved with the Israelis. And that led to um, our going over to Israel in June of 14. Um, We met the OWC team. We were incredibly impressed. We made an investment. Now, to answer your question a little bit more specifically, when I've said to you, been there, done it on the recreational side, not interested, what am I interested in? Where is the real money going to be made in this industry? Because I think that's essentially what you were asking, right? Yes. Um, Yeah, so we we concluded that recreational will become a very big industry, but it's questionable if and when anybody will ever make any money, but that the real money in this industry is going to be made on the pharmaceutical side. It's going to be made on the drug development side. 
and that we saw that that's you have to be a patient and you have to be patient as an investor but that when you know right now if you let's say you have arthritis and you go into a medical dispensary and you're talking to a bud tender and most bud tenders are you know they're passionate about what they do they're passionate about helping people they're passionate about the benefits of um, cannabinoid or cannabis-based uh, uh, medication. But you may be talking to somebody who essentially is practicing medicine who more than likely didn't graduate high school. So that's what American patients and American consumers, it doesn't work real well. You know, what are American patients, what do American consumers want? They want to go into CVS. They want to go into Rite Aid. They want to go into Walgreens. They want to be able to have a real prescription, ultimately, um, that can be covered by health care. They want to get uh, pills in a bottle. They want to get, uh, you know, a tincture. They want to get a cream, like similar to the psoriasis cream that, you know, uh, OWC, that's, the, that's a big deal product. Um, that. that really has science behind it. So, you know, we concluded, I concluded that for me as an investor, I'd rather be on the pharmaceutical development side. I can be patient. I can wait and see where the real money is. And that's where I see the potential of this industry. You know, um, there's going to be big numbers done. You know, they're projecting $20, $35 billion industry in the United States uh, 2020, 2025, assuming that the Trump administration doesn't shut down recreational completely. Um, that, those are big numbers, but that doesn't indicate that anybody's going to make any money. Um, so flipping across it, if you look at a company I'm sure that many of your listeners are aware of, GW Pharmaceuticals, which is a U.K. company, trades on NASDAQ. You know, um, GW is a big deal for the entire medical cannabis sector. Why? Because it appears that, you know, pretty likely this year that GW will have the first FDA, Food and Drug Administration, approved drug, it will be the first time the U.S. government will recognize that there's a medical benefit to cannabis. So yeah. GW Pharmaceuticals, market cap $3.2 billion, pharmaceutical development company. Okay, flip over to Israel. And Israel is the center of cannabis research. I said last year in Tel Aviv that I thought that they would retain that role for at least the next 10 years because it is essentially virtually impossible to do real cannabis medical research in the United States because of the illegality at the federal level. So going over to Israel, which is what we did back in, in 2014, almost three years ago, when we invested through Intiva in OWC Pharmaceutical Research, we decided that was the direction that we wanted to go. We decided that having real pharmaceuticals based on real science was where the real money was going to be made. You know and, what I love? You know, people say to me, go ahead. Now, you know what I love about what you're saying to me is that you did the smart thing that I, as an entrepreneur, like to see. You got in the trenches. The first thing you did was get involved with people that were touching the plant and growing it. And when you got through that process, you were smart enough to realize, yes, although there may be money there, it's too hard to figure out how to keep it in your hands. And if you got involved in the pharmaceutical side and developed patents, you would be rich forever. So I think you're – Well, I, I, yeah, I mean that's uh, – And I like the uh, – Yeah, a, a, couple, a, a couple – 
Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, just like that you got in the trash. Uh, a couple of points on that. Yeah. You know, I wrote an article last summer. People can find it online, and and it was tiled like stacks of cash. You know, people see stacks of cash on the recreational industry in the United States for medical, and they think, gosh, it must be a great business or stacks of cash. What people don't understand is the stacks of cash to a large extent exist because of the lack of access to the banking system. And what they also don't understand is bigger stacks of cash can go out than can come in. You know, so yeah. the the other issue was when, when we got our final licenses to be, as you say, in the trenches, being an entrepreneur, being there and done it, we had to sign a piece of paper at the Medical Enforcement Division of the state of Colorado. We sat across the table from a, um, one of their investigators with handcuffs, and he had a, you know, a sidearm on. You know, it doesn't give you a lot of comfort. We had to sign a document saying, under penalty of, of uh, felony, we agreed to abide by all regulations of the state of Colorado Medical Enforcement Division, now or in the future, whether we knew about them or not. That's a scary, scary situation because when you have an evolving regulatory framework, the regulatory agencies, and Colorado's is very good compared to other states, they're writing regulations daily. So flipping back to Israel, you know, I, I went to Israel. Um, you know, uh, we made that investment in OWC Pharmaceutical Research. And I thought that, you know, that what's the bottom line of all that? The bottom line is when somebody goes in to see a bud tender and says, I've got pain, what should I do? The bud tender may try to sell them extracts or edibles, or they may say, you know, take a couple tokes and see how you do in the morning. That's not medicine. Taking two tokes and calling your doctor or, or talking to a bud tender in the morning. It's got to be better take than them. that. Yeah, you know, and call me in the works. I'm sorry, what? I said, take two of these and call me in the morning. Never works. Yeah, take two, take two tokes. Call me. It's not like take two ibuprofen. You know. So there was a lack of science, and that's what Israel brings to the table. So people say to me, Jeff, how can you talk about OWC Pharmaceutical Research and GW Pharmaceuticals in the same breath? You know, I mean, GW um, has a three billion dollar market cap. Um, they're on NASDAQ, and OWC Pharmaceutical Research is, you know, a nice company. It's a young company. How can I compare them? Because they're doing the same thing. And Are GW Pharmaceuticals, patents? not too many years ago, was a little company, too. Are there any uh, patents that you guys have filed, even provisional patents that are on record? I'm not I, – I don't have the information on that. They do have those done. But I would like to sort of focus on um, – I'd like to focus on OWC. Um, I, I don't – they do have patents filed. I don't know offhand what they are, but they do have them. But more important right, than patents are the ability to get products into the marketplace. And the first product which um, OWC has is the psoriasis cream. You know, we all know people that have psoriasis. It's a horrible skin disorder. There's not much that really works for it. So this is a big deal because the science was done in Israel. Um, as you may know, um, a few about a week ago, there was an announcement the company put out on February 27th that they received institutional review board or IRB approval to conduct safety testing on that cream 
for the treatment of both psoriasis and related skin conditions. That's from a news release February 27th, just a couple weeks ago. That's a very yeah, big deal. Now, go ahead. And I was watching a video, yeah. Jeff, that said that the uh, testing was going to be submitted in the month of March. Is that still on track? Um, I have heard nothing to the contrary, so I believe that's the case, yeah. So, okay. I mean, I have no, no additional information, but I believe it's the case. More importantly, what OWC did was, it's one thing to be a pharmaceutical development company, you know, and you think in terms of a lot of people in the marijuana business in the U.S. are afraid of, quote, big, big tobacco, unquote, or big pharma. But, you know, I don't consider GW Pharmaceuticals necessarily big pharma because they're still, by pharmaceutical standards, a small company. Um, OWC is a small company, too. But it's really, really interesting that the approach that OWC took is very significant. And they said, look, we really want to play with real FDA-approved pharmaceuticals, Food and Drug Administration, going through that process. In the meantime, we have the ability to get products in the marketplace. We can do that in the United States. We can do that in Canada. We can do it in Europe and other countries. We can do it with the psoriasis cream, with the science out of Israel that had the IRB approval that I just talked about, and that yeah. while they're waiting to sort of the, what the real goal is, which is real pharmaceutical development under U.S. FDA rules, in the meantime, they signed last year, and they were publicly announced, two deals, one out of the Czech Republic for the EU, for the psoriasis cream product, um, which should come to the market, um, the company has indicated, during the first half of this year. And they also signed a license agreement in the U.S. for it to be provided through state licensed marijuana businesses in the U.S. Each of those came with money for OWC. Um, and that was a very, very big, uh, big deal because it enables OWC to have a plan to generate revenue short term that'll hopefully grow while they're working on what they really want to do, which is more significant FDA uh, research. All right, we are talking to Jeff Friedland on the advisory board of OWC Pharma. Their ticker symbol is OWCP. Question for Nick. Go ahead, man. Jeff, not to keep uh, switching the subject on you, but uh, you mentioned Israel a couple of times. Coming from the uh, cannabis industry, how much more advanced is the research going on in Israel compared to the research going, that's taking place here in the United States? That, that's a really good question. I, you know, I have to tell you a story to answer that because this comes up all the time. Um, there's people, uh, the, the research in Israel to a large extent was um, started with the effects of PTSD. You know, like after the last Lebanon war, soldiers came back, they had PTSD. That's what led to a large extent for um, Israel to formalize the use of cannabis as part of their socialized medical program. So that's a very big deal. That led to it. Now, the role of Israel in cannabis research goes back 
almost 40 years or 50 years ago to the work done by a professor, Raphael Meshulam, at Hebrew University in Jerusalem. He was a science, young chemist in those days. I met him last year at my website, which is jeffreyfriedland.com. You'll see a picture of me with Professor Meshulam. He d discovered THC, the psychoactive substance. That was done in Israel. A year later, he isolated CBD, which is, has a lot of medical benefits, um, anti-inflammatory, neuroprotectant. You know, CBD can come both, as you all know, from industrial hemp as well as marijuana or the cannabis plant. So that work was done in Israel uh, 40, 50 years ago. It was not done here. Then Meshulam was perplexed. He said, why does this plant compound affect a human being? If it affects the human body, there's got to be a reason that it exists. So he and his team at Hebrew University in Jerusalem then went on to discover what they named in Israel the human endocannabinoid system. And the human endocannabinoid system is, consists of receptors, a CB1, which reacts predominantly with THC, which is mostly in the central nervous system and brain, but also throughout the body. The other is CB2, which reacts with CBD. That was done in Israel. And interestingly enough, um, that a lot of that research was funded by NIH, the National Institute of Health of the United States. So the U.S. government hired the Israelis. Why? Because they could not do the research in the United States. Now, yeah. fast forward, we all know about um, Israel um, from the standpoint of technology, security software, um, to put things in perspective, uh, a lot of you may use Waze, you know, which is owned by Google. The mapping program, Waze, was developed in Israel. The original, we all use instant messaging, you know, whether it's SMS or WhatsApp, that was developed in Israel. So the, there's more PhDs per capita in Israel than anywhere else in the world. So as opposed to the United States, where cannabis is illegal at the federal level, the Israeli government sees that cannabis research is the ability to obtain lots of research money, is the ability to employ a lot of PhDs. They see it as a new industry just like tech for them or like security software or apps like uh, Waze. So that's a very big deal. Now, to fast forward to the United States and answer your question, you know, what's happening on the U.S. side why it's such a problem. I, I get these, you know, I, I, I read a lot that you guys read, and we all see about, you know, somebody's trying research here or there. But I saw some stuff over the last couple of years where scientists in the United States were attempting, I use the word attempting, to do research on PTSD in the United States. That research had been done 15 years ago in Israel. They're reinventing sure. the wheel. This is a waste of time. It's a waste of resources, and it was still a challenge because of needing the DEA and everybody else to sign off on it. So Israel has such a lead on pharmaceutical research. Um, it's an incredibly big deal. And, and that actually ties to three, three people that you know, I think I really should talk about. One is um, um, Dr. Yehuda Baruch. He, uh, Dr. Baruch is the head of science for OWC. He headed up okay. the entire Israeli cannabis program for, I believe, 11 years. He dealt with, I believe, 100,000 patients 
Uh, I'm not exactly sure of that number, but I think it's close. So he's leading the science in Israel for OWC Pharmaceutical Research. It was great. I was able to be with him last week in uh, Boca Raton, Florida. I met him in Israel back in 2014. Um, you know, he's incredible. And then also, I don't, you know, on, at the end of January, OWC put out a news release that uh, Mira Sani, um, you know, had joined um, as uh, an advisory board member as well. I'm on the advisory board. And she has a master's in chemistry from Technion, which is the Insti Israel Institute of Technology in Haifa. Technion's a big deal. Um, the other part of the science side is that Dr. Sharon Rosenblatt um, also came on board as the senior advisor to the scientific advisory board of One World Cannabis, which is the wholly owned Israeli subsidiary of, uh, of OWC in Israel. And what's interesting to me about Dr. Rosenblatt is that uh, she had more than 15 years experience in research and development of herbal extracts and related products, and she also managed clinical trials. Those words, clinical trials, are a big deal because remember that the direction that OWC wants to take after the launch of the psoriasis cream is through um, clinical trials, FDA clinical yeah. trials, equivalent in Europe, equivalent in uh, Canada and other countries. So that's also a very big deal as far as I'm concerned. So one of the questions from listeners was, could you ask Jeff about any updates for trial results? So anything official that you can say about trial results? Um, I, do, um, I have no information that is not publicly uh, been released because I'm not an officer or director of this company. So quite honestly, I had the opportunity to, you know, uh, hang out with management last week in Florida, um, but I'm not privy to any information on that. Um, but that, that raises an interesting question. And the interesting question has to do with when I was listening before I came on the air and, you know, you were talking about penny stocks I obviously do yeah. not consider OWC a penny stock, although obviously the SEC considers it a penny stock, I suppose. Okay. But um, the, the interesting part about that is that it has to do with news. When you're talking about pharmaceutical development, there may not be news every week. There may not be news every month. And the what impresses me with OWC is that it's a pro very professional company. If there's news to put out that's truly news, then yeah. they will put it out. Um, I remember there was, you know, going back 15, 20 years ago, there was a company that came out with news releases every Friday. It was a, it was a penny stock. And they would come out one Friday and say, um, yeah, we had, you know, uh, the secretary's birthday party, we brought in a birthday cake. Because they were trying to, everybody was attuned that there should be news out every Friday. And then one Friday they came out, this was after the birthday cake for the secretary, saying the news item on that Friday was there's no news today. So the news had become so ordinary that it, it, most of it wasn't news. So if there's news to put out, um, you know, OWC will put it out. And I think what's, what's important to look at, if your viewers want to look at what's happened with this company, they can look at the shareholder letter, which is online. It came out January 17th. 
And when I talked about the fact that Intiva was very pleased and we were excited, it was very early stage back in summer of 2014, take a look at the last 12 months of this company. I would tell your your listeners, go online, look at the 8Ks filed with the SEC, look at the news releases, and see the milestones, see the achievements of the last 12 months. And these were all summarized, the ones through January 17th anyway, on a shareholder letter. And what they accomplished huh? over the 12 months with, you know, quite honestly, not the greatest resources in the world was incredibly, uh, to me, was impressive. I like that you're saying, Jeff, go or you're saying go to the numbers and, and look to see the uh, movement this company's making. So understood. So I want to go back to talking a little bit about uh, – first, I want to answer a question for the listener because I know the other question she asked you'd have the answer to, and that was just could you ask Jeff about personal opinion, how the conference last week went? Well, I, you know, I think that to me, um, I, I thought it was a pretty incredible event. It was not a cannabis event. Um, I, I was asked to provide an overview because of my book, Marijuana, the World's Most Misunderstood Plant, and all the articles and speaking I did. So I did, it, I did, an, I did an overview of why cannabis is an investment, because this was a general Wall Street conference. And then because it was mostly focused on public companies, I talked about the public company space in cannabis, including, you know, both the big guys like Insys Therapeutics that's on NASDAQ, GW Pharma, which I talked about earlier. Um, we, I, I talked about the Canadian marketplace in cannabis, which is, uh, you know, things are hot in Canada right now in the cannabis space. Um, and then I talked about the over-the-counter market. So the time that Ziv Turner who's the CEO of OWC's wholly owned Israeli business, One World Cannabis, when he got on, I spoke a little too long. And I think a lot of people had some difficulty in following uh, Ziv Turner's presentation and understanding him, which comes back to, you know, his English is great, but he ain't exactly a native speaker, so to speak. And I think um, a a lot of people were a little bit disappointed because they really couldn't understand much of Ziv's presentation. And Ziv gets very excited. He becomes very animated talking about this company. And, again, what's been accomplished over the 12 months was really impressive. But um, I think that the company could have done a better job at the, uh, uh, at the conference in Boca last week. Makes sense. And, listen, communication doesn't have to be the genius's uh, talent. He can have people like Jeff who gets the point across, and he can just work on being smart and doing research. So, love. yeah, right, well, so, can, so I, we, can I? Uh, um, you know, I. Um, you guys probably you probably have come across the name Alan Brockstein, right? Have you had Alan on your show? Many you know, Alan's a friend. Stock rating ever was Alan Brockstein's yeah. uh, GoFundMe to get him out of his or give him money towards his lawsuits that he had against them frivolous lawsuits i should say so i love Alan. well anyway wow. alan has become sort of an expert on the you know um smaller cap stocks in the cannabis space and in fact Al, i'm on a panel at institute an institutional cannabis conference in san jose when i get back from israel on um um on january i mean on march 28th and 29th 
And by the way, they, they charge $750 to attend that event. If any of your uh, listeners want to attend, if they send you an email, I will get them a free invite invitation to attend that event in uh, San Jose on the 28th and 29th of, uh, of uh, this month. I'm chairing a panel on investing in the cannabis sector um, and Alan Brockstein's on my panel. But anyway, coming back to Alan, I asked him a couple months ago, um, you know, I said, well, I thought there were 100 public companies in the cannabis space in the U.S. He said, no, there's 300 that have some involvement. I asked Alan, I said, Alan, how many of them are real? And he said, just a handful. So, yeah. you know, when I look at OWC Pharmaceutical Research, there's two things you know, obviously you were talking about penny stocks before I came on the air here, and there's two things. You know, how many of the stocks you have on have $2 million in the bank? You know, I, the company has $2 million. OWC has $2 million in the bank. How many companies are debt-free that you have on your show? Um, OWC is debt-free. You know, those are facts. They can be verified with the last – 10Q filed with, I mean, the 10K filed with the SEC or the last uh, 10Q quarterly financial statement. So, again, this is a, OWC is a small company, but um, I am comfortable, and I, I would tell, you know, your listeners, um, you know, look at the 10, the 8Ks over the last 12 months, look at the news releases, do their research, come to their own conclusions. And if they can understand... If they can buy into my vision, and my vision being that the real money is going to be made in, can, in the cannabis sector, in pharmaceutical development, if people can be patient investors, they can see why I can talk about Insys Therapeutics, I-N-S-Y-S, on NASDAQ, uh, GW Pharma, GWPH, and I can talk about OWC Pharmaceutical Research, OWCP, in the same sentence even though, obviously, INSYS and uh, GW are, um, you know, considerably larger than OWC, but they weren't a few years ago. In your mind, they're just a little further ahead in time than you. Well, I don't know if they're a little well, bit. I don't know they're, if they're, they're far ahead, but, yeah. I mean, yeah. Uh, I know what um, you're saying. You think uh, yeah. you have the – you yeah. think – you think your company has the potential to become what they are in the future. That's all. Makes sense. I think that OWC Pharmaceutical Research has something that GW doesn't have and something that Insys Therapeutics doesn't have. They have Israel behind it. They have the commitment of the Israeli government behind it on the, hell, on the, the, uh, um, you know, the Israel uh, Dep- uh, Ministry of Health behind cannabis research in Israel. Every major hospital, every research institution, every university in Israel is doing cannabis research. So that's what they have going for them. GW was in the UK. I mean, UK wasn't exactly friendly to this plant. GW succeeded. Market cap $3.2 billion. OWC is in an environment where the government is incredibly supportive of cannabis and incredibly supportive of uh, um, cannabis research. And that's why I'm going back, you know, uh, next week, the 20th and 21st, I'm speaking in Tel Aviv um, at the Canatech conference. Um, 
Um, I'm on a panel. No, I'm doing a session by myself on for um, American investors, I believe, and how to get involved with Israeli companies. Last year, there were 500 people in the conference from 45 countries. That should tell you something about the role of Israel in cannabis. No doubt. And you said a word, sessions, that's going to bring me to my next question, which is a lot of our listeners are concerned about Donald Trump's administration. What do you feel their administration brings to the U.S. cannabis industry and what investors should be afraid of or excited about? Okay. um, I've written four or five articles on it. Um, you know, before it gets picked up by everybody, going back three months about Sessions. Let me give you the bottom line very concisely. This is my opinion. Um, I don't think with everything that the problems that the Trump administration is having, um, that they need to be accused of taking medicine away from patients, including children. So my personal opinion is that the U.S. state-licensed medical marijuana regimes, businesses, they will leave pretty much intact because they just don't it, – it's a no-win situation. Now, when you look at Sessions in his background, he was from Alabama, is from Alabama, not exactly a progressive state. Um, Sessions, I believe – and, you know, he's made a lot of comments, and I'm not going to regurgitate the news. I'll give you my opinion – I don't think that Sessions, and I wrote this in an article, can tolerate a state-licensed regime that, in his mind, is about kids being able to take a toke on a street corner and, in his mind, next week be hooked on heroin. So I firmly believe that the state-licensed recreational businesses are at risk in the United States. In Boca Raton at the conference last week, at the Wall Street conference, Um, I said um, to an audience of investors, I said, if you're looking at doing something in state licensed medical businesses, my quote was, I think you're okay, unquote. And I said, if you're looking at doing something in state licensed recreational businesses, um, this administration, you know, um, be careful, proceed with caution. And I believe that's the case. Um, I got a phone call this morning from a very close colleague um, who met with an assistant uh, attorney general who the insinuation, and this was from that meeting was Friday morning in Washington, was that there was a 70% chance that there'd be major uh, changes coming out of Washington affecting state-licensed recreational businesses, not medical. And I think that's real. Would you think it's safe to say you don't see this administration changing the federal schedule from one? Well, the scheduling, well, people the don't scheduling, understand federal scheduling. You know, I, I, most people in the industry don't ex- understand scheduling. And scheduling oh. really has to do with the ability to do uh, that, that's scheduling under the Controlled Substances Act, where Schedule One for cannabis, it's right up there with heroin, right? So but there's two things about it is, is that scheduling, I do not believe that any change to scheduling would help state licensed businesses at all. Let me repeat that, that any change in scheduling would not help state licensed businesses at all. Why? Because the plant would still be illegal federally. 
all that a change in um, scheduling would do would perhaps, I say perhaps, make the ability to do medical research a little bit easier. And the other thing is if um, a drug gets approved by the FDA Food and Drug Administration, which the first one likely to be Epidiolex, which is a drug GW Pharmaceuticals has in trials for children with uh, Dravet syndrome, a form of epilepsy, it, the people say, well, it cannot be legally sold if cannabis is a Schedule I substance. That is true. But what will happen, in my opinion, is they will not reschedule cannabis. They will reschedule Epidiolex to a Schedule II mm. or three substance, which is uh, plant-derived. It will be available through Walgreens and Rite Aid, not from your neighborhood dispensary or bud tender, and that mm. they will not reschedule marijuana. So I do not see the rescheduling of marijuana um, anytime soon. And even if it did, as long as it's illegal federally, I don't see that it would affect state licensed businesses. So, Jeff, I would like to go back to something you said uh, way earlier. However, it is going to connect to what's where, uh, pertinent right now. You mentioned before that people just have a real lack of assurance in walking into a dispensary, knowing they have a certain condition, but that the person they're talking to has a limited background, education, et cetera, et cetera, in providing them information and obtaining their medicine. Now, personally, I'm coming from a background in secondary education and higher education and my journey into the cannabis industry, and currently I work a lot with patients. I spend a lot of my time in my, uh, in my <clears throat> excuse me, faculties in the ATC just working with patients, doing a lot of consults, uh, really just trying to pick their brains in terms of their knowledge on cannabis. And being on the East Coast here in, in a, what has traditionally been a more progressive state, but just with cannabis has been a bit more archaic. Um, people really don't have any information in terms of information in their hands. There's a real lack of education within the industry, at least from what I'm experiencing. Um, so my question for you is, do you foresee there being or is there an educational component to the medical history or medical future rather of cannabis? Well, I think, uh, you know, it, that's a, it's an interesting question. You're absolutely right. You know, the, the ability of a bud tender to tell a customer or patient what they should use for a medical condition is based upon one thing and one thing only, and that's anecdotal evidence. Now, as I said, most bud tenders I know, and I haven't been in a marijuana store in Colorado for about 36 hours, so it's been a while, they're passionate about what they do. They do try to learn. They do know. But there's another component besides education, um, and that is quality control and consistency. Now, if you, um, if you go to, let's say you have a headache tonight, and you go, to, you go to Walgreens and you buy ibuprofen, and you get a certain effect from ibuprofen, meaning your headache goes away, and let's say two weeks from now, you lose uh, the bottle of ibuprofen, but you have the same headache. You go back to Walgreens and you pick up another bottle of ibuprofen, you expect the same benefit, the same results. Now... Let's flip it over to the cannabis side. You go into a bud tender and say, gosh, you know, I've got arthritis in my knee. What should I use? They sell you a product. You have no idea in the quality control. You have no idea about the consistency. You have no idea if what it says on the label is even what's in it, and it may work or may not work. Let's say it works. 
Two weeks later, you come back in, say, I've got the same condition. I ran out. You buy what you think is the same product. Maybe it's the same. Maybe it's not. It's getting better in the Western states as far as consistency and quality control, but no guarantees. Now, coming back to the education component, um, you know, we all have access to the Internet, and there's a lot of groups, there's a lot of people, there's a lot of information available online as to what to use for specific medical conditions and disorders. But again, that's not real medicine, that's not real science, that's anecdotal. Now, let's flip back to OWC, because OWC, what are they doing with the psoriasis cream? They're going to have to make it on a state-by-state -state basis in the United States. It'll have to be made by a state-licensed extractor processor. It'll have to be sold through state-licensed uh, dispensaries. But they're providing the real science. So let's say you have psoriasis and you walk into a dispensary. I don't care what state it's in. And you say, I have psoriasis. Instead of the bud tender saying, well, may, try this lotion. Maybe it'll work. That bud tender will be able to say, nothing in our dispensary has been approved by the FDA. However, the Israelis say, and the Israeli government says, use this product, the OWC psoriasis cream, for psoriasis. To me, that's a big deal. So I see what... OWC and some other Israeli companies, too, are attempting to do is to bring some science to the state licensed businesses. And now when you're doing that in different states, how can you provide the same cream if it's different cannabis being grown in different states? How can they all get the same end product? Well, I, I can't comment well, I, specifically I, about OWC's product, but I can tell you generally you know, uh, this is a, a little bit off subject, so this is not going to be about OWC psoriasis cream and the formulation. But part of what, when OWC does license it to a grower extract or a processor in the state, they will have to carefully control quality control and consistency. But, you know, what's interesting to me, that raises an interesting question, because I see a lot of people, and I do not, people may disagree with me on this, but a lot of people think that the future is about strains. You know, well, use purple haze for this, or use an indica for sleep, or use sativa if you need a little jolt in the morning to make it through the day. But ultimately, it, the future, when you talk about medical cannabis, it is not going to be about strains. Strains are a short-term solution. Ultimately, it is about chemical compounds. And the chemical compounds in the cannabis plant, we know about cannabinoids. We know about THC, the one that has psychoactive you know, characteristics as well as a lot of medical for pain, et cetera. We know about CBD. But there's um, an estimated 88, some people say 110 cannabinoids, unique chemical compounds in the cannabis plant. Now, on top of that, I'm sure your, your listeners know about terpenes, which are the smells of the plants. There are unique yep. terpenes in the cannabis plant. So ultimately, right now, I see it as a placeholder when people say, you know, use this strain for this or that strain for that. Ultimately, it's going to be about medication that consists of these different chemical compounds, cannab cannabinoids with uh, uh, terpenes, in specific um, uh, percentages for specific conditions. 
That's where it ultimately ends up. Because part of the problem is, you know, Leafly, the app Leafly, right, Um, which is uh, um, owned by privateer friends of mine, they fund it. Leafly does a great job. I I, I lost track. I think there's a thousand strains at Leafly. Maybe there's more, uh, you know. But what we call something in Colorado is it could be the same strain could be a completely different a genetic plant in California or Amsterdam or in Seattle, because a lot of growers have, let's say they they want, let's say a lot of growers um, here in the United States, they want to be breeders. They want to breed plants for specific characteristics, whether it's on the medical side or whether it's on the recreational side. But a lot of them have enough trouble growing, let alone breeding. So they may take a thing and name it a new strain. Say, well, I've got my new strain. Isn't this cool? When in reality, it's no different than uh, many other strains. So when you look at, uh, you know, if there are a thousand strains at Leafly, maybe there's a lot more. Maybe really in reality, there's maybe 70, maybe 60. So, you know, trying to determine a medicine Based on a strain, if I were to say to my aunt in San Francisco, gosh, this strain works for me for arthritis, get it in California, I can guarantee you that she will not have the same, it won't even be anywhere close genetically, because there's no consistency um, between strains and what people have named strains in the United States. All right, so we are talking to Jeff Friedland, OWC Pharma. And, Jeff, I want you to spend the last couple of minutes because we didn't really get to talk. We hit on one of the products, but I'm sure there's other products you want to talk about. So I've got written down the sublingual tablet. So if you want to talk a little bit about that, maybe your vision of what you see OWC's plans for the future to be. And uh, then I want to remind everybody, if you want to go to the event that he's speaking at on the 28th and 29th, email Eric at Potstock Radio, and I will forward that to Jeff to try to get you a free seat. All right, so go ahead. Spend yeah, a if bit you of time can, uh, if, yeah, if, I would say anybody in the Bay Area, I've got people that are coming up from L.A. to come to this. Um, it's a big deal. It's the first institutional uh, conference focused on cannabis. I expect 500 to 700 people there. Um, I hope to be able to hand out free copies of my book there. As I said earlier, I end up giving away more than are sold, but it has become my business card. So, yeah, regarding OWC, the uh, there's a lot of, you know, uh, they, they've succeeded recently in raising money. And we know a lot of the problems that companies that are um, over-the-counter micro-cap companies have. The financing that OWC just did was a straight private placement. It was not one of these weird toxic convertibles or semi-toxic convertibles. That's a big deal. That's why there's $2 million in the bank today. And that's because there are people that believe in this company longer term. Now, if we look at OWC, and you'll find this online, if if, uh, any of your um, listeners – Everybody's probably knows somebody who's had multiple myeloma, which is a form of cancer. There's nothing that kills multiple myeloma cells. Now, if you look online at OWC, you'll find a news release that reported um, results of work done at the Hebrew University in Jerusalem with rodents, with mice. And I may be off on this. I think I've got it right, that in 60% of the mice, 60%, 100% of the multiple myeloma cells 
uh, were killed. That's a very big deal because, as I said, nothing, there's nothing out there to kill multiple myeloma cells, a form of cancer. Now, my hope is that, um, and this is my hope personally, that um, OWC will, with this money in the bank, uh, from the recent placements, the private placements, will be able to ramp up their trials in Israel on multiple myeloma. Now, other things they're looking at down the road that have been publicly announced are uh, fibromyalgia and perhaps doing some further work on PTSD. Now, the sublingual tablet you asked about is a big deal because we all know there's different ways to obtain cannabis medicine. You know, we talked about you can smoke a joint, you can vape it where you're getting not smoke, but you're getting the uh, vapor. Um, you can use a tincture, which are, you know, drops. Um, there's obviously other topical products out there besides OWC's new psoriasis cream. These are all delivery methods. But when you're looking at sure. a delivery method, what ultimately matters is what's called bioavailability. And that means how much and how quickly it gets in your system. And the sublingual tablet that, G, that um, OWC has, um, and sublingual means it goes underneath your tongue. It goes into your body through the mucosal, may I have the pronunciation wrong, M-U-C-O-S-A-L, membrane, which is one of the quickest ways for um, anything to get into your body. So it goes under the tongue and it would dissolve. Um, the other, the other quick method. Um, so that's a big deal, and I would imagine that that uh, tablet, and I have no no information one way or another, will ultimately be key to any. Um, uh, I mean, psoriasis creams, obviously a cream or lotion, but anything else that OWC does will be uh, using that sublingual tablet if that's an appropriate delivery mechanism because of that bioavailability. And I also personally, I have no, this is my opinion, and it's nothing anybody from the company said, I think there's probably a huge marketplace that's untapped for OWC to potentially uh, license that sublingual tablet to other people that want to produce uh, cannabinoid-based uh, drugs. That's my opinion. Excellent and nothing Excellent information from Jeff Freeland, and probably a good time to remind everyone listening that no one here is trying to get you to buy or sell any specific stock. Pot Stock Radio is here to help give you information that will allow you to make better decisions while doing your due diligence. You're the one that hits buy or sell. Don't rely on anyone else to do it. So, Jeff, really appreciate you coming on Pot Stock Radio tonight, and you've really given us good information not just about the company but the the – landscape of the industry worldwide. So we hope as the industry progresses, you come back on to tell us how things are moving as we get to the end of 2017, and hopefully some good updates on your role with the advisory board and how you see OWC Pharma moving through it. Yeah, I, I guess, uh, you know, to wrap up on this, um, you know, personally, uh, I view my involvement in this cannabis industry as a journey. You know, the journey started on the recreational side, owning, you know, a grower and two retail stores. And I'd like to say, without a pun on words, it's sort of moved to a higher level. And the higher level is really about real pharmaceuticals based on real science. So what's on my radar screen is, you know, GW's, Insys, 
obviously through Intiva Investors and OWC. And I I would just say to your listeners, you know, uh, you were talking before I came on about message boards I was listening. And, you know, there may not be news on OWC all the time, but this is a very professionally run company. Look at their milestones over the last 12 months. Look at their achievements. And I think let people make their own conclusions, but you'll see that they have done more than they said they would do. And I would say to investors, whether it's OWC they want to buy or they want a a bigger pharma play like GW, to look at, from a longer-term perspective, stocks that are truly involved in real science in this cannabis space, because that's where I believe real money will be made. I, you know, besides Intiva investing back in 2014, almost three years ago in OWC, I mean, I personally own stock in GW Pharmaceuticals. I, you know, I don't like some of the things they're doing in some of the states right now, hiring lobbyists and some of the, you know, really uh, evil, I would say some of the things they're doing are evil that make a great radio show here on on your radio yeah. talking about the, but by the same token, GW should have the first U.S. government approved pharmaceutical, cannabis-based, plant-based pharmaceutical uh, approved this year. That's a big deal too. So I, I, I would say to people, really, we know it's about the plant. We know that everybody thinks it's cool to own a dispensary or a grower, but gosh, I just don't personally think that's where the money is going to be made. Um, irrespective of their becoming big industries. I think the real money is going to be on the pharma side. Great information by Jeff Friedland. So, Jeff, again, and people who are listening can uh, go to jeffreyfriedland.com. And then also, I already got one person who sent me an email, Jeff. So if it's the first person who says they want tickets to the San Jose event, that would be Brian, who already sent me an email while we were on saying he would like two tickets to the event. So I'm going to forward you. I'm sorry, Rob. Rob is the first person who said he's in. So get ready for Rob C., Jeff, forwarding you in his information. Okay, um, Rob, I, I don't know, Rob, I don't know what your email said, but I need, I need the name. And, if you're going to send the request through, I need the name and contact details. for. Okay, if you have two it. people, you know, I need both people that are to just included on the email, and we'll make sure they get invited. Uh, and make sure if they come to San Jose – for that event, have them come up, and I'm glad to spend a couple minutes, shake their hand, etc. And I'll make sure they get awesome. a free copy of my book, Marijuana, the World's Most Misunderstood Plant. World's Most Misunderstood Plant, and you can get that on Amazon and available on your Kindle as well. All right, Jeff Friedland, you have a good night. Pleasure having you on Potstock Radio. Good luck on the advisory board of OWC Pharma. And now let's go to our next guest who has been on hold, one of my favorite people in the industry because I love this dude's excitement. And his name's Tom Quigley of Glue and the Florida Cannabis Coalition. Welcome back to Potstock Radio, Tom Quigley. Hey, Eric. How are you tonight? Very good, dude. Can you hear me okay? I can hear you great. I'm doing great. Oh, perfect, perfect, perfect sound. Um, it's a silent night over here in Florida. Nice, clear, seventy-something degree weather, and I'm loving it. Ah, uh, you're making me sick up here yeah, in the twenties. Rub, rub it in our face some more. <laughs> exactly. Thanks, I'm gonna. <laughs> All right, so so Tom, uh, knowing you know, that you have, 
knowing that you have uh, multiple hats that you wear, just give people listening a little bit of a rundown of what glue is and what the Florida, Can- Florida Cannabis Coalition is and then what your role is with both organizations. All right. R- real quick, um, the Florida Cannabis Coalition, we started in 2014, and it was here in Florida to help educate the people in Florida about um, we were trying to pass Amendment 2, which was to legalize medical yep. marijuana here. And um, we've been forging forward with that for the last three years. And uh, the glue is actually a distribution platform. So we believe two of the things that we saw that was missing from the industry was education. And another big piece was distribution. And those are two things that um, startups and especially um, new businesses, which we see a ton of in the cannabis industry, need. Yeah, almost everyone's a startup in cannabis. So tell us how you help with distribution. All right. So we, we, what we did was uh, we built a platform. So my background is distribution. You know, I had a life before cannabis, and I was in distribution of prepaid phone cards. And I did that for a little bit over 20 years. And we developed a system to help sell prepaid calling cards through what was called a web portal. And it was the ability for multiple locations to order multiple different products from different manufacturers and sell, you know, at one point of sale location to consumers. So when I entered the cannabis industry, I noticed a lot of very similar um, traits in the vendors, companies that were small, cottage-type businesses, maybe one to two million a year. Um, and they were in need of uh, reaching multiple independent retailers, much like what we had to reach in the prepaid calling card market. So I yeah. brought together my team that we worked together at doing this in prepaid calling cards. And we built a very similar distribution software platform. And we launched it about seven months ago called The Glue. Awesome. And now with the glue, does that give someone the ability, let's say they have a great idea, but they're in a state where cannabis isn't legal yet. Does this allow them to figure out a way to use your network to work to maybe sell vaporizers if they're trying to sell vaporizers and they're in a state where it's not legal to sell cannabis? Yeah, so what the glue does, we don't touch any don't products touch that actually no touch the plant. So okay. yep. it's all accessory products, all picks and shovels. And basically think of it like Amazon. You know how Amazon connects vendors or manufacturers with consumers at home? What we're sure. doing is we're connecting those vendors and manufacturers with retail stores. So it's okay. almost like an Alibaba or Cisco Foods for um, stores which want to sell cannabis-related products. Very cool. Okay, so, that, that, so, so now since things changed in Florida, how has that opened things up for glue? <laughs> well, it, it has opened things up for glue, and it's also opened up things for, you know, my other businesses. So the glue was born out of Common Bond. Um, which we spoke about the last time I was on. Um, And Common Bond is basically uh, business services, or um, we were going to start out as like an incubator accelerator for startups. That's right. And uh, 
as opposed to investing capital into companies, we invest our professional services, everything from branding and marketing. And uh, our first company that was actually born out of there was The Glue, which was one that I founded. And uh, we launched that as a piece of an ecosystem to help companies that may be manufacturing products or items for this industry to gain distribution through. Very cool. Any companies that we know of besides the glue that have gone through your incubator program or anybody on the horizon that we should be keeping an eye out for? Yeah, you know, so yeah, right, now, know, we're so working right now we're working with, with a lot of mid-level companies. So um, if you think of a startup life cycle, you know, they have a great idea. They go to somewhere like ArcView or some seed investors, and they raise some money. And then they start trying to figure out that idea, and they make a lot of mistakes with the capital that was sent to them, of course, because that's what happened. Um, And then they get to a point where either they need more capital or they need some assistance. Um, So what we're doing right now – yeah, last thing you want to do in that time is go back to the people who gave you the, the initial money to tell them you need more money. <laughs> You're way better off going to someone <laughs> like the glue going, hey, look, we got this far. We don't want to go back to them because they're going to want everything if we want more money. How can you help us get there? Yeah, so, you know, through uh, Common so, Bond, you know, what we're doing is bond, what we're, we help with um, brand strategy, distribution, helping to get the products out there. And exposed, uh, we have a really big reach in Florida. Um, Florida has over 20 million residents and will be the number two medical state in the country with probably about 600,000 medical cannabis patients um, going forward. So we have an extremely large reach to help products that are being developed for the industry exposure through that. And then we also recently started a networking uh, platform called Green Carpet Events, which is weekend networking for people that are interested in the cannabis industry, but they may not normally come out to a cannabis-related event like the Florida Cannabis Coalition and introduce products through samplings and, um, you know, brand awareness. It's a great name. The Green Carpet Events is a Friggin' great name, Tom Quigley. Like, how did no one else grab that? Because everyone knows the red carpet. And when you say green carpet, I don't even have to wonder what it is. All right, Nick, question. Yeah, Tom, uh, real yes. excited to have you on yes. because this is more um, my sector to I'm more into, like, consumption, accessories, and stuff like that. So with the uh, whole glue thing that you have going on, what is really, like, trending today in the marijuana industry as far as accessory-wise? You know, uh, a lot of the accessories that are tr- – one of the hottest ones was this twisty pipe. Have you ever seen the twisty pipe? Um, the glass blunt. So, yeah, it's like a glass blunt. And uh, what, what's happening is I, I don't know if you've seen this Facebook page called Now This Weed, and um, yep. they, they do like these viral – viral videos of products and every once in a while a product hits that and it takes off and we get a huge demand for it. And that's what happened with the twisty blunt. Um, We also have a lot of new products that are, you know, coming on board. Everybody's real interested in legal hemp CBD products. Um, So they're looking for items like that, of course, 
you know, things that are based from hemp, everything from, I'm sorry? The rosin with the Roztec Equinox and how about as far as oh, like yeah, presses? Yeah. Yep, yep, absolutely. The Roztec rosin, uh, Roztec press, it's like a, um, it looks like a hair straightener, but it's a temperature-controlled press for people to make their own homemade rosin. Um, the Magical yeah. Butter Machine is always a crowd favorite. You know, people love the I got Magical one. Butter Machine. I may or may not yeah. have one, I should say. Yeah. Magical you, Butter. You know, By the way, that's what, the, you know, those guys hit me up, Tom. Those guys hit me up back in the beginning of Potstock Radio, and I looked at their email, and I was like, I can't have someone on that's selling butter. So I just poo-pooed them. And then I found out later when my son said, you need to get a Magical Butter Machine. I'm like, Magical Butter? That's a machine? I thought those were guys selling butter. And now I think their product is the greatest thing in the world. <laughs> so. Oh, yeah. You know, Garen Angel, he's here in Tampa. He's a good friend of mine. Um, probably, you know, one of the people that I call a mentor to myself. Uh, I believe he's, you know, one of the leading people in this industry, not just with the Magical Butter, with the other investments and things that he's doing. If you don't know Garen, you definitely should get to know him and know more about his other companies and what he's doing with Magical Butter, definitely. Do me a favor. Uh, get me to know him if you can, Tom Quigley, because I am very interested in Magical Butter and whatever else he has going on because that, to me, is the product of the industry. So. Yeah, no, I'm so happy to Tom is always working with the movers and shakers. This is a networking wizard we are talking to. So, you know, you mentioned uh, CBD products, and I was wondering how they actually got into the marketplace because back in 2015, everyone was talking about CBD products, and then it became like the redheaded stepchild. Like, it's all snake oil. Don't do anything CBD related. How is that kind of shaken out now that it's 2017? Yeah, you, you know, there's a lot. It's all about education. So, you know, there's just just like a hamburger. You could get, you know, a poor quality hamburger or you could get a really yeah. well-made hamburger. And, you know, when the information was first coming out, there were a lot of, you know, snake oil products that are out there and, and items that – we're not testing well. Um, and, you know, there were companies that were putting out um, CBD items that were testing very low and being sold for high prices. I, I think that yeah. educate and, and I think in 2015 or 16, the FDA sent out a um, letter to almost every CBD company that was out there about their claims, the medical claims that were being made. So that really put a um, a halt on most CBD products. But yeah. most companies went back and um, they used new research and information that's been released over the past two years to create, you know, products that are higher in CBD um, uh, uh, quantities. Uh, so, so yeah. you know, they have higher amounts and they're from more credible sources. And um, there's products that are out there that, you know, there's claims that they're more like a nutraceutical. You know, you don't feel the side effects like you do from a THC product. Um, so many people don't feel like it works right away. But, um, you know, CBD, according to many, and, you know, I'm not an uh, expert on this, is, is you know, a, a part of your human body. And if there's deficiencies and you can replenish them with a product that, you know, makes you healthier, you know, it's happening and people are seeking it out. 
And now there are places to do that research of what companies' products are testing. Like you said, back in the day, you just kind of had to believe in that there was something there that was going to help you. Because like you're saying, you, you get something that's THC-based, you use it, you know it works. CBD, you're kind of waiting over time to feel the results. So I love that there are now places doing research and putting it online, like Tom said, so you can find out what companies are, what companies' products are testing once uh, they actually find out how much CBD is in them. So do you see a lot of uh, dab products coming into the industry? I know that's the new hot uh, consumption product is dabbing. Are you seeing a big influx of startups in that realm, too? You well, know, you, know, you know, in Florida, not necessarily. Um, you know, yeah. with the laws and what's going on here, everything's changing. But, you know, I travel the whole country. Country concentrates are definitely one of the more popular yeah. consumption methods. And, um, Colorado, you know, it's easy. Um, you know, it's easy. Oh, yeah. You know, Colorado, and, you and wonder there's so many. And, and there's so many. <laughs> There's just so many different e- e- easy uh, easy ways for it to, you know, affect you quicker. So everybody wants, just like after prohibition, to get as high as they could the quickest. Just like you know, after alcohol prohibition, everybody wanted to get as drunk as they could as quick as they could with grain alcohol. Um, you know, we're seeing the dabs as uh, a quick way for people to get that. Um, instant side effects, so to speak. And I love that you're a guy who likes the industry as a whole. What do you see as negative aspects of the industry? Or where do you see negative aspects kind of rearing their head that you would like people to see that that's not the industry as a whole? You, you know, you, you know, it's, 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 it's really tough to say because the, the cliche, um, you know, aspect of that, oh, well, they're just a bunch of people that like to consume cannabis and they're lazy. That stereotype is still out there. Um, It's breaking through now where, you know, people are are showing that it really isn't. Um, You know, the negative things that people are pointing out are nowhere near what we see in the alcohol industry or what was glamorized with the tobacco industry. Um, So I, I think some of the negative stereotypes that are still out there are hurting the industry. Um, I also think that, you know, we're going to need to start addressing, you know, and, and I know this wasn't your question, you know, patient rights, you know, and the ability for people to choose. And I think that that's what a lot of this comes down to is freedom, you know, the freedom for people to be able to choose and not be judged. Yeah. Because you can choose to do a lot of things that are worse for you than consuming a plant. So I agree that it's – and I, I like what you said because to me the negative part of this industry is how the media has responded to it because still we are still at a point where nobody's died. Really, they haven't proven anyone has been hurt by pot, and the only thing they've proven to be bad is some people's relationship with pot to where they become a stoner. But those same people would have drank coffee until they had to stop doing coffee or it would have been bad too. So I agree that the negative is the industry. Go ahead. Andrew got a question. I just want to piggyback on what you said real quick, Eric. You've been saying so far, Tom, about, you know, just the diversity and culture in the country. And like, you know, there are certainly some places in this country where having dreadlocks and openly admitting you smoke cannabis is more acceptable than other places. Sure. Um, 
However, though, like, you know, you talk about judgment, you talk about the stigma that's attached to cannabis, um, you know, working in an ATC and you know, having a lot of patient contact, you see that, unfortunately, the most judgment these people face yeah. is from their family members, it's from true. their parents, is from their children. I have parents, you know, at times they're asking me, well, all right, like, how can I medicate around my kids so they don't know I'm medicating? And they go, but the best way for me to medicate is to smoke my bong. Like, I've, I've tried this. I've tried that. This doesn't work. You smoke a bong in front of a kid. And it's like, well, how do I tell – I mean, I'm, I'm about to be a parent, but that, how do I tell someone with a child? Like, well, you need to sit your child down and talk to them about it. Um, so, I mean, Tom, maybe you know, in terms of a question, you know, do you guys offer any sort of, like, educational products in terms of you know, just literature that people can read that's not too heady in terms of scientific? I love that Andrew's trying to learn. I love that. Yeah, I got an open mind. Second, second guess that he's like, dude, where can I get more info? <laughs> love it. <laughs> you, you know, we, we do in, – in my organization, we do a lot of education, but we haven't done anything with how to speak to your children yet, and that's a great topic. Um, there's a group out of uh, San Jose, the, the Bay Area, Jim McAlpine and um, Sabo Shen. I don't know if you've ever heard of those guys, but they have a group called Canadads, and they have a web page on Facebook, and you could go on that. And they talk about different ways of, of consuming with your children and having different types of devices. I know Sabo has a device called the Vape Exhale, which has less scent. Um, but, you know, it, it, it's true. It, you know, the stigma is there. The stigma from the scent of this plant, you know, is still there. Somebody walks into a, an office meeting smelling like marijuana, and they're going to be judged by certain people in that room, whereas if they had a different consumption method, whether it was a tincture or it was a mouth strip or it was, you know, an oxycotton pill that they had taken 15 minutes before, you know, they're not going to be judged in that meeting or by their children or by, you know, the other parents at the soccer field or at a PTA meeting. Unfortunately, even a shot of whiskey won't chase some people. No, shot of whiskey? Oh, no problem. Just a little drinking. Wait, I smell pot? Let's call the cops. Mm. <laughs> so, yeah, Tom. so it, it all comes down to edu- education. I really believe education um, you know, education of people, but we're seeing the tide turn. We passed the law here with 71.9% in Florida. That's the biggest that any issue has ever won. Yeah, and, and it was – you lost just a little while ago. So to turn it around that drastically, that quickly, was pretty freaking impressive, i got to say, for Florida. Yeah, we have 6.7 million people voted. That's a lot of people. a lot of people. It is. So, Tom, here's a question I have. Because as someone who wants to invest in cannabis, who who wants to uh, profit off of the legalization of cannabis, but I'm not an accredited investor and don't really want to just purchase uh, stock certificates to invest in cannabis. What opportunities are out there for non-accredited investors outside of just buying stock? You know, there's a lot of uh, small startup opportunities for people to yeah. invest in in their own businesses, you know, running their own small companies, whether it's distribution of products that are out there or, or just creating something. Um, you know, the other investments are you know, in, in the two that you said, which are stocks and private companies, uh, you know, the JOBS Act is opening up the ability for 
um, people to invest in equity in companies, and there are some out there that are taking advantage of that as a way for people to invest. Um, you know, there's, of course, the Canadian market, which, again, that's the stock looking at companies that are pre-IPO. Um, you know, there, I just saw, I'm sure you guys have heard of the Organic Dutchman, uh, T-God. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and, and Emblem, uh, you know, a couple of Canadian Emblem companies that are out there. And I'm not endorsing I'm not endorsing either one. I don't know. No, but they can touch the one plans. Of those, yeah, but they're yeah, growing those up. Those are in so Canada. Yeah. You know, and but and now have now, you seen you know, anyone every, Go ahead. I was gonna ask, you seen anyone successful with like a GoFundMe business startup in the cannabis industry? There were a couple of guys, um, that made a vaporizer. Uh, it started with an L out of, um, out of the Bay area. Uh, I can't think of the name offhand right now, but mm. I think they raised 363,000. It was for a vaporizer that was magnetic induction. And um, I can't remember exactly their name offhand, but uh, they did raise money. I think it was through Indiegogo. Wow. Even the cannabis space, even the cannabis space is doing stuff with online funding of businesses. That is friggin' awesome. So, Tom, where, if you were to say over the next five years, you were to look five years in the future, where do you see the companies that are starting now getting the biggest growth? You know, where do you see the most potential in the end? What I see is I see this as a is an industry like any other. It has a life cycle. Um, and right now we're on the upward mobility of that life cycle. Um, there's a lot of people that are starting cottage businesses that are going to do anywhere from one to $5 million a year in business. Um, a lot of those are regional. And I believe within the next three to five years that the strongest will either be acquired or grouped together into some type of an ecosystem where they'll yeah. work efficiently together, uh, much like, you know, mergers and acquisitions in other industries. So the opportunity for a lot of small brands to build followings, uh, much like what's happening in craft brew or something along those lines. I think consolidation. Back to your question for Tom. That was uh, Lotto Labs that you referenced. Lotto Labs. Yes, yes, yes. Lotto Labs. For Indiegogo. Yep. Yep. Lotto Labs. Great guys. Great guys. They're out of uh, the Bay Area. That is all right. So Tom. For people listening who are going, am I? I'm an entrepreneur. Am I the right company for glue? What should people ask themselves before reaching out to Tom Quigley? Um, you know, if you have um, a product you know, that is needs distribution, um, we have a supplier form on our website, theglue.com. You go on there and, you know, just take a look at what we're selling. Theglue.com, um, we have everything from the newest vaporizers that are out there to, you know, your traditional rolling papers. Everything is goods for resale. So think of it like this. If you have a product that you want to put onto store shelves for somebody to sell, you know, that's where our connection is. We don't do any direct-to-consumer. 
Um, you know, right. we're basically helping people to scale their business. Um, so if you have a product that needs that, and then, you know, if you also need some exposure, we give you exposure through my educational program, which is Florida Cannabis Coalition. So we do events. Our next event is March 25th in Orlando, Florida. Um, you know, that's our larger all-day event. And we have New Frontier will be there, Mass Roots. Um, Isaac Dietrich will be there speaking, um, as well as, I believe, Brett Allen from the Green Organic, the Organic Dutchman, excuse me. Um, so we're, we're going to have a nice group there um, in Orlando, um, basically explaining about different products. And the Glue is one of the sponsors. Um, recently, Mike Wong has been put in charge. He's the new president of the Glue, and he's running all the day-to-day operations um, while I'm helping to uh, reorganize our educational program with the Florida Cannabis Coalition and Common Bond. All right, so check it out, theglue.com. By the way, that's the G-L-U-U.com. Some of your products on here are awesome. I see the Roztac. I love the roll-a-bowl where it's a bong that you can roll up and put in your pocket. That's genius. Magical butter, of course, some ridiculous grinders. I love the twisty glass blunt. That's awesome. And the glass water pipe that looks like one of those things, Tom, you're my age. One of those things we all had in high school in our bedroom that we got some, from Spencer's Gifts that, like, shot lights through a water <laughs> piece, which is what that looks like. That is friggin' awesome. So check out theglue.com. Tom Quigley, second time on. Looking forward to the third time on. Good luck with Common Bond, The Glue, Florida Cannabis Coalition and check him out at theglue.com. Tom, have you on again soon. Appreciate you coming back to Pop Stock Radio. Thank you so but much, wait. Eric. And, and again, before I let you go, March 25th is I- our next event. So anybody in Florida, mm-hmm. you know, just like Jeff offered a free ticket, you know, I'd like to give a free ticket to the first caller that calls in that wants to come to our event in Florida. Huh? Uh-oh, there you go. First person to email Eric at Potstock Radio saying you want to go to Tom Quigley's event, gets dibs. And, Tom, I will forward that information over to you. Again, appreciate you coming on Potstock Radio and have an awesome night. Perfect. You too. Thank you. Perfect. You too. Thank you. All right. That is Tom Quigley from The Glue and Common Bond really doing awesome stuff in the cannabis industry. So, man, good show tonight, guys. Appreciate you guys being a part of it. So, what? Any any thoughts after listening to Jeff Friedland and Tom Quigley? Israel, man, Israel, Israel. Oh, we're seeing a dichotomy here between you know uh, Jeff first saying that pretty much. I mean, he was alluding to the fact that you know, this industry is going to take such a pharmaceutical direction yeah. that you almost have to wonder what happens to the consumer. Let's just leave the consumer, not patient, not recreational user, just consumer that wants to use some herb and a pipe or a bong and a torch. You know what I got to tell you what scared me about what Jeff said was he was the first person to make me go, holy shit, I can see the government screwing this up by changing the scheduling of these synthetic cannabinoids without changing the – I'm like that's how they could screw the pooch here. That's how we as cannabis enthusiasts could still lose. Personally, I, I mean, I'm just some guy, but I think they're splitting hairs with that. And the person like Tom gives me hope that has so much vigor and belief in this industry. Yeah. You know, so that was the dichotomy that I found to be very interesting. But I think it, it's good for us to end it with Tom because he gives us hope. He did give me hope, but we have hope in a place where 
are government-owned patents on cannabinoids, right. yet they still say there's no medical benefit. So to me, they're just waiting to figure out a way to not allow the rest of the public to make money in this, and the government can just try and scoop it all up themselves and let Big Pharma win. If they only approve pharmaceutical use, then eventually the people that are funding the government are who wins. So I hope I'm wrong, but I just – I follow the money, and when he says something like that, I'm like, I could see the money using this as a way to poo-poo the scheduling change that's just needed to happen for years. So, so – Let's end it on a positive. I'm with you, though, Andrew. Let's end it on positive. Tom gave us some really good stuff. This industry is growing. More states are going to become legal, and uh, we will grow as they do on Pot Stock Radio. We'll be back next month, by the way. I think we're going to have AJ start doing some research. AJ Gentili from LA Speedweed, one of my favorite people in the business, and it's going to be very interesting to hear from AJ on how things have changed for LA Speedweed. So his company delivered medical cannabis to more patients than anyone in the state of California. And then all of a sudden, the state tried to say that anyone he delivered his company delivered to had to become like a dispensary for him to be able to deliver there. Well, now that it's recreationally legal, I can't wait to hear how LA Speedweed has changed and hopefully AJ is going to be the one to tell us how not only his company's changed, but California as a whole has changed since it's become recreationally legal. All right, so until then, we will be following the market, following the pot stocks. Remember, if you're looking to go to either Jeff's event or be the first person to get into Tom's event for the glue, email eric at potstockradio.com. And also check out our new Facebook page, facebook.com backslash potstockradio.nj. And by the way, I'm not riding off Jeffrey Friedland, but get ready for Eric Butts' book on pot stocks that will be coming out prior to April 20th, 2017. So I'm going to tell everyone what happened from the beginning with Pot Stock Radio, why you should listen to this douchebag who made all the mistakes that you're going to make and can stop you from making them so that you can eventually not hate the penny world and blame pot for you losing your money. All right, we will see you next month. Thank you, Andrew, new part of Pot Stock Radio. And as always, KD and Nick for being my co-host tonight. See you guys next month. See ya. Peace. Peace. Fat, drunk, and stupid is no way to go through life. And that's how she wrote.